Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Broadcasting from Ann Arbor, Michigan, this is The Korea File, a bi-weekly podcast about music, culture, and society from around the Korean peninsula and the world. I'm Andre Goulet. On this episode, Jenna Gibson is the Director of Communications at the Korea Economic Institute in Washington, D.C., a think tank working to promote dialogue on economic, political, and security relations between South Korea and the United States. Gibson also hosts and produces the KEI's Korean Context podcast, a weekly selection of interviews focusing on the experts, artists, and opinion makers that shape the U.S.-Korea policy world. Here, Gibson talks about her own background with South Korea, the passion for journalism that she brings to her work, as well as the goals she has for the podcast moving forward. This is part two of our conversation. Right, you produce Korean Context, which is a weekly, approximately, podcast that aims to provide listeners with a source for broad-based, substantive information about the U.S.-Korean relationship from all angles, political, cultural, economic, and social. Mm-hmm. 72 episodes to date. Um, some of those are prior to your the beginning of your relationship with the podcast. So when did the podcast launch? It was a few years ago, at least. And basically what happened is in 2000 the end of 2014 or the beginning of 2015, I think it was, it was the end of 2014. Um, for a while, things had kind of been where people, you know, other staff members, if they particularly wanted to interview someone or, you know, someone had an interest in talking about a certain topic, then on an ad hoc basis, we would do those interviews and, and, you know, no one was necessarily specifically in charge of it um, for, for a certain period of time. And so it kind of dropped off. And then when I came on to KEI in July of 2015, um, we really wanted to bring more of that public-facing you know, um, content mm. to the organization. Because uh, it doesn't necessarily do us any good if we're sitting here with all this great content and no one knows about it. And so um, I picked up on the podcast and really wanted to restart that and make it more regular. So we do try to do once a week, sometimes depending on holidays and things like that, it doesn't work. But my goal was to make it something that you could rely on. At least once a week, you're Mm going to get some interesting new perspective. Um, So since July, we've more or less been able to do it once a week, like I said. And um, yeah, I think going forward, it's something that I have enjoyed a lot more than I even thought I would. Uh, I have a degree in journalism, my undergraduate degree, but I never did audio particularly. I was a print major, I guess. And 
yeah, it's a lot more fun than I thought. And you get to meet all these really cool people. And like I said, we try to do different perspectives um, depending on what's going on or who we have in-house. And so it's kind of a new way to reach out to those people. How do you keep the consistency with having a weekly episode? Like what sort of uh, best practices do you have in place to make sure that happens? Um, part of it is... Part of it is reaching out to as many people as possible um, and getting as many people lined up in advance as you can. Even if I have to record like two or three one week and then just kind of keep them for the next several weeks. Um, and I think that something that really does help is, as I mentioned, we have people coming in for other programs all the time. And so keeping in mind that schedule um, you know, pretty far in advance and being like, okay, so we have a program at the end of January with so-and-so. They said that they would be willing to sit down with me afterwards, um, so that week is good. Now what else do we need to fill in the gaps there yeah. as far as the schedule? Uh, you share hosting duties occasionally with colleagues from K the KEI. So is the podcast an institute-wide effort? Yeah, so I would say, I guess I'm the point person, if you want to call it that. Um, the reason that I, so as, as I mentioned, that when it was kind of floating and there wasn't necessarily one person in charge of it, it just didn't happen. Mm. And so, like I said, me being the point person, it's, okay, so we need something for this week. Uh, I don't have anything lined up already, so you know, what do you have in mind that would work? Or do you know anybody who would want to come in? Or have you been doing any interesting research that you'd like to talk about? And me going to those colleagues and really prompting them mm -hmm. to do an episode for that week. And so I think that that's part of what has helped build the consistency, I guess, is you know, one person's in charge, but everybody is welcome to participate. And this is a great way to use the resources of having like a dozen people who are all engaged with different aspects of Korea. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Tell me about your Korea background. You were a Fulbright English teaching assistant at a middle school in Cheonan in Gyeonggi province, right? Chungcheongnam-do. Uh, in Chungcheongnam, right. Uh, so when was this? That was from 2011 until 13. Um, two years? Two years. Okay. Mm -hmm. Same school. It was great. I so loved it. Tell me about that time. So it's an interesting uh, story how I got into Korea because I didn't know anything about Korea, basically. Um, as first, I mentioned, my... First time living abroad? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I um, majored in journalism um, in undergrad at the University of Nebraska, and I was so focused on that. I wanted to be a print journalist, not even magazine, not, you know, newspaper journalism. That was my thing, and I was very stubborn about it. And so I was on the student newspaper, and I wanted to be the editor of that newspaper. I get these things in my head, and that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and so I wanted to be the editor of the student newspaper. And as part of that, I didn't study abroad in undergrad because I was so focused on that goal, and I didn't want to deviate from that or you know, allow that to not happen. And so I never gave myself the chance to study abroad, even though I was very interested in international affairs. My second major was French. And um, when I got to the end of my senior year, or, or going into my senior year, I kind of realized that I had almost missed an opportunity there. And so I was talking to my advisors, you know, thinking about maybe after graduation, I could go abroad for a year, um, take a gap year or something like that. And that advisor told me to look into Fulbright. So I'm looking into Fulbright, you have to pick a country. 
And that was the hardest thing in the world because every country is awesome to me, <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, I chose for Korea for a couple of reasons. Number one, because I didn't know anything about it. And then number two, because they actually have a required homestay, which a lot of other Fulbright programs don't have. So um, the Korea ETA program for one year, you will have a homestay. And I thought that was the kind of study abroad experience that I had missed out on. Mm. So I got on a plane with my Hangul book. That was the first that I knew anything about Korean at all. And um, arrived in Seoul, and they brought us for a six-week orientation, hardcore language training, hardcore teacher training program. And then I was off on my own with my homestay and my students. Now, this is one of the great things about Fulbright's ETA program, Mm -hmm. um, their English teaching program, compared to how a lot of other Uh, civilians approach teaching in Korea, which is that you're really uh, driven and pushed to uh, achieve some ability with the language. Mm -hmm. So did you go, did you show up in Shonan and like, were you able to communicate kind of right off the bat? So like I said, there was a very steep learning curve from zero Mm. to even conversational. So there, like I said, there was a six-week orientation program. We are in the middle of nowhere, Chungcheongbukgo. This is about two, two hours by subway south of Seoul? Yeah. Well, in the orientation was not connected by subway. Oh. This is um, in Kwesan, which most Koreans don't even know the mm. name of that city because it's so rural. But for the orientation, they brought us out to the middle of nowhere, so we couldn't, you know, go do whatever else. We had to focus and get to know each other, and we built this really great cohort of um, Fulbright ETAs. And four hours a day for six weeks, language training. So I would say it was leaps and bounds better than when I arrived, obviously, um, but still not fluent by any means. And so that was one thing that I really appreciated, though, not just because it allowed me to teach better, I think, but it also, I think, gave me a lot more respect with my colleagues and with my students because I cared enough to try to communicate with them in their own language. So I appreciated that a lot. When you chose Korea, South Korea as your destination with the Fulbright program, um, did you really know much about the country? Had you had much interest prior to uh, arriving in Incheon? No, not really. I mean, I knew about it in the vague sense that I had almost described earlier. Korea is a place mm. that is important, and North Korea is a threat. Mm. South Korea is very prosperous. You know, in those vague terms, I knew about it, um, but not specifics at all. Um, I had interacted with a few international students from Korea, but we that was more, you know, we're hanging out and not necessarily talking about Seoul and their lives there necessarily. Mm. Um, So it was a very eye-opening experience and also just so much fun because I went into it with so few expectations, I guess, um, that I was able to just completely gain that new experience. When you think back to your time there, it was a couple years ago now, what kind of nostalgia do you have? What do you think of? What do you remember fondly? That's a hard question because there's a lot of things. Um, as I said earlier, our cohort of Fulbright ETAs from 2011 uh, was very close. And so I think the people there and the people at my school, the students at my school, my colleagues, uh, my homestay, 
of course. Um, when I think about Korea, I think about the things that I did with them, not necessarily the place itself, I guess. So when I went back for the first time after coming back to the United States, it was last, the summer of 2014 was the first time I went back afterwards. And it was the weirdest thing because I was in all of these places, but I wasn't with the people that I was with at the time. And so it was not the same and not necessarily in a bad way. You know, it was obviously a great time and I was able to meet up with some people and uh, went down to my school and things like that. But it was a very weird experience to be in the same place, but not in the same time, in the same situation. So your experience was really immersive mm -hmm. and not that independent? No, I'd say it was pretty independent in the sense that, um, I mean, you know, Korea is so easy to get around, um, first of all. And so if I wanted to go to any given city, you could easily do that. Right. In Cheonan, I was connected by subway to Seoul, and so I'd go up to Seoul every, I guess, at least once a month. Mm. Um, the other nice thing was because I knew all these people from our orientation who were posted in Mokpo and Pohang uh, and, you know, up in Hwaton uh, and things like that, I would, every weekend or so we would just pick a place and then everyone would converge on that place. And so we were able to go to different cities and really get out into different parts of Korea. That so, was great. So the, the ETA training was actually for people across the country? Mm -hmm. So we all arrived not knowing where we'd be placed. Mm -hmm. And um, at the end, we had a almost like a little flag ceremony, you know how they do with the um, foreign service, and they give you a little note and, oh, you're going to Chonan, and then you go and put it on the map. It's like this cute little ceremony thing, and you learn where you're going to be placed. And so at the end, they had the map of Korea and all these flags all over the place, and you could kind of see who's near you and who, can you, who you can go visit afterwards. So we were very spread out after that. You were back in 2014 summer, um, and do you get to go back kind of frequently? Um, so far, no. I would like to. Um, I originally was only supposed to stay a year in Korea, actually, and I ended up staying a second year because I loved it so much, and now I'm obviously continuing to work with Korea very uh, closely, and so being able to go back regularly would be something that would be awesome. Um, but not yet. I mean, up until May, I was getting my master's degree. And so that was not necessarily a financially feasible mm. option. Um, but now that I'm here at KEI, yeah, I'm hoping that there will be some opportunity. The podcast, Korean Context, has had 86,000 listens on the hosting site podbean.com, mm -hmm. probably thousands more on iTunes. These are good numbers for a podcast. Um, are there any other platforms where listeners can find new episodes of Korean Context? Yeah, so personally, I like Stitcher um, for my own, you know, podcast listening. So we're definitely on there. And this is for people who use an Android phone. Yeah, exactly. So if you don't have iTunes on your phone or you don't necessarily like iTunes for whatever reason, um, I use Stitcher on my uh, Samsung phone, which I, of course, have. <laughs> Um, so is that Android, mandated by the KEI? No, it's not. Um, <laughs> I, I like to joke that it is, but it's not. So yeah, Stitcher uh, is an app that I particularly like. Um, Podbean.com, we also put it on our website, keia.org. So any new episodes will be on there, and then we have all the archives, of course, as well. So if you wanted to listen to it on the web, that's easy, too. Uh, those are the main ones. I think if there, there are some that kind of uh, pull from 
iTunes or whatever, and, and usually we'll be able to be found on there, but those are the main ones. Any episodes coming up that you'd like to tell people about? Um, so we just, I just posted one less than an hour ago, actually. Um, it is an interview with Ken Goss. He's with CNA, and he wrote a book recently um, called North Korean House of Cards. So he talks about the leadership structure. It's very detailed. He has like these incredibly uh, crazily detailed ma maps, I guess, of who's related to who and who's important for what reasons and who got purged and why that matters and things like that. And so it's a really detailed, great read um, that has been passed around this office at least once already. And so we interviewed him, interestingly, recorded it in, de in December before going away for the holidays. And of course, it's even particularly relevant now that the fourth nuclear test has happened. And so I just posted that and it's him kind of talking about Kim Jong-un's uh, leadership structure, his leadership style and how it differs in some ways from um, Kim Jong-il, why it matters, what's gonna be coming up with the party Congress next year or this year, I guess. Um, so that's something that I would really recommend and I would recommend people to also check out you know, some of his research as well. Jenna Gibson is the Director of Communications at the Korea Economic Institute in Washington, D.C., uh, and produces the Korean Context podcast. Thanks for speaking with the Korea File. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's the Korea File for this week. You can find new episodes of the Korea File on iTunes and Stitcher, and as a featured contributor at koreafm.net, koreabridge.net, blogtalkradio.org, and the Fair Observer website. If you like what you hear, like us on Facebook, and please leave a review of the show wherever you subscribe. It'll help new listeners discover the show. Then join me on March 9th for a story of prisoners and propaganda in conversation with academic Matt Van Volkenberg as he discusses the experience of allied POWs in Japanese colonial Seoul. Until then, thanks for listening. From Ann Arbor, I'm Andre Goulet. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.